morning and welcome to the Cato Institute. Thank you to those of us uh, joining us here live and also uh, those viewing online at home. Uh, my name is Julian Sanchez. I am a senior fellow here at the Cato Institute who focuses on uh, issues surrounding digital civil liberties, privacy, and government surveillance. Uh, we're here today because America's foreign wars have often served as a sort of beta testing site for domestic policing technologies, uh, the drones that are developed to uh, monitor jihadis on the fields of Afghanistan, uh, find their way to the airspace over American cities. Uh, and the topic of uh, today's forum, uh, the uh, Stingray or cell simulator or IMSI catching technology, uh, again, developed for uh, military use abroad, find their way increasingly into the hands not just of uh, federal intelligence and law enforcement agencies, but also increasingly state and local police forces. Um, and uh, despite the growing popularity of Stingray technology, which can be used to intercept cell signals by uh, effectively mimicking the cell towers that your phone contacts uh, to complete calls, they can be used to uh, track investigative suspects, yet uh, while they're becoming increasingly popular, there is an enormous uh, diversity of rules, procedures, and even legal authorities that are relied upon by different agencies uh, to uh, deploy these incredibly powerful and potentially invasive tools. So they have obvious and enormous utility for law enforcement, um, both in terms of things like tracking fugitives, identifying uh, who might be present at the scene of a crime, uh, but also uh, enormous uh, potential for abuse, enormous potential for to collect enormous amounts of data about innocent persons. Uh, and this has all happened with relatively little transparency. So the public has very little visibility into uh, how these are used and what rules govern their use and the use of the data that's collected with them. Uh, even in many cases, judges who are asked to issue orders authorizing the use of stingrays are unfamiliar with the details of how the technology works. Uh, so we're very fortunate that uh, the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform uh, recently conducted an extensive investigation resulting in an excellent report issued in December uh, on uh, the use of stingrays and making some recommendations uh, both for uh, federal action to regulate and make more uniform their use and uh, uh, actions the states can take. Um, I should note in passing that uh, we were supposed to be joined by uh, Representative Elijah Cummings, who for uh, essentially uh, personal reasons has been delayed in Baltimore and will not be able to join us today. Um, however, we are very fortunate to have with us uh, the uh, chairman of the uh, House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform and uh, a member of Congress since 2009 uh, from the great state of Utah, the Honorable Jason Chaffetz. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. It's a beautiful morning, beautiful building, and I, and I appreciate uh, being here. This is a very important topic as uh, technology becomes pervasive in all aspects of our lives and, and used in the right way. It can be a, a very useful tool, everything from helping to find uh, where uh, you're going to get your uh, next hot dog uh, to uh, making sure that you arrive at the proper destination on time. Uh, I look at my own kids and the world that they're growing up and, and how technology has changed in my lifetime. And as we make that transition, um, it, it can make our lives better, but it also can reach a point of pervasiveness that can prove to be uh, so invasive that um, it can be uh, past the, the, what I would consider a social norm. 
And I, it's one of the greatest challenges that we face as a society is, is how far are we going to let that go? We're, we're blazing new trails. We have new avenues. We have a new forest to, to go into. And, and uh, I, I believe that people have a reasonable expectation of privacy. And that privacy um, as an American is something that I cherish. And we can't continue to always just give up our liberty in the name of security. You know, everybody wants to be safe, everybody wants to be secure, but that to me doesn't mean that the federal government, law enforcement, needs to know everything about me all the time. And so where is that proper line and where is the where where are these technologies going? And just because we can do it doesn't necessarily mean we should do it. And um, and that's why we're here today. We did issue in December, uh, I think a very thorough but the uh, a report, but as technology changes so rapidly. Uh, we're going to inevitably, as a people and as a society, going to have to challenge how far we're going to let this go. Uh, certainly, the United States of America has had um, a commitment to making sure that law enforcement just can't invade our personal space uh, just because they can't. Sure, they can knock down any door. Sure, they could uh, house troops in our quarters, but the Constitution was pretty clear in making sure that the federal government just couldn't do that at any, at any whim. And so I do appreciate the bipartisan nature of our colleague um, Elijah Cummings and I joining in this report. And I, I would hope that you would look at this um, because I do think there are real impactful and uh, positive reforms that, that, that we should look at. And there will be uh, two bills that I will be dropping today, bills that I've introduced previously, but two bills that I think are important to make sure that we maintain that uh, uh, privacy. This is uh, this discussion today is very specific uh, to so-called stingrays. Now I want to be careful. That's a brand name of a particular provider. There are other pieces of technology out there that do similar things. It's like calling it Kleenex when tissue would more better cover the whole gambit here. But they have been uh, known as as stingrays. But essentially, cell phone um, uh, simulators. You have a mobile phone, it's constantly searching for a signal. Somebody comes up with a simulated cell phone tower, a more portable device uh, that will tap into that. And then not only can they tell your specific location, um, but these machines actually have the ability to read content of those machines as well. And that's something that they like you to know about, but the reality is they can actually also look at content. And despite assurances that that would never be the case, these machines are still built to be able to gather that information. What the public doesn't, I think, thoroughly understand is that our federal government has spent uh, close to $100 million buying these machines. $100 million. So just at the Department of Justice alone, and it took us a long time to unearth this. They have 310 of these devices, uh, spending more than $71 million. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security has 124 of these devices, spending more than $24 million. And uh, as the result of our committee's investigation, uh, the public now knows not only do traditional law enforcement entities such as the FBI and the U.S. Marshals have these devices, but Remarkably, the IRS has been purchasing these machines. In fact, they purchased one, uh, I believe is on the East Coast. They tried to tell us that they really don't use it and don't use it very often. And of course, of course, that's the case. They bought a second machine 
um, so they could have one on the West Coast. Uh, they spent more than a million dollars, basically half a million dollars each for machines that they tell us they really don't use. Now, what in the world is the IRS doing with cell phone simulator uh, technology? Uh, I, I, again, I, I don't believe Mr. Koskinen is the commissioner of the IRS. I think he has lied to the American people and the Congress. I absolutely don't trust him. And I don't trust the IRS snooping on our phones and using these machines. I don't know where. I can't see it. But they have them, and I think the public, uh, I think they should, they should sell them or give them back or dispose of them. And they should do that under the watchful eye of, of some third party because I absolutely fundamentally do not trust them and I see no reason for them to have this technology. Uh, when a cell phone, uh, a cell site similar to device is activated, the cell phones in the surrounding area connect to the device in a similar way that your cell phones towers do. Essentially, it allows the law enforcement to see your very precise location. It was described to me that if you were to go to uh, New York City, and you had this device, not only could it tell you which building you're in, it could tell you which floor you're in, and it could tell you which room you're in. You can see in a law enforcement situation that can be a very positive thing, right? There are good aspects to this. If you have a missing child, if you have uh, maybe an elderly citizen who has wandered off and, and, and is forgetful, you can see where there are positive ways to use this. You can also see that in a law enforcement investigation, if they are targeting a particular criminal, uh, they could get in there and understand uh, and track and find this person. Uh, I think there are very legitimate reasons to do that, and there are some departments and agencies that I'm sure are supposed to be able to have these. These machines were originally designed for the United States military, and we did not dive into the military aspects uh, of this at all. Now, when the committee first began its investigation in April of 2015, the federal law enforcement entities could obtain a court's authorization to use these uh, simulators by meeting a standard that was lower than probable cause. In September of 2015, five months into the committee's investigation and with a hearing in the Subcommittee on Information Technology, literally right before our hearing, the Department of Justice announced a new policy for its cell phone uh, simulator devices. I don't think they wanted to go to the committee without being able to articulate what it is those procedures would be. Shortly thereafter, and just two days before the hearing, uh, Homeland Security also followed suit with an announcement of a similar new policy. And, uh, and then shortly thereafter, the IRS said, oh, okay, well, that's our policy too. Um, the new policy substantially changed how the agencies obtained authorization, and the policies now require agencies to obtain a search warrant supported by probable cause with some very limited exceptions. In short, the bipartisan oversight and public exposure really pushed the Department of Justice, uh, Homeland Security, and the IRS to fundamentally alter their policies and the way they're doing that. It wouldn't happen unless there was some, some oversight. But as the report makes clear, when the committee initiated its investigation of spring of 2015, the use of these devices at the federal, state, and local level, it was really not very well known, and the inconsistency was certainly the case. Let's also understand that it's not just the federals, uh, the feds that have these. You have Sunrise Florida that has a device. And I'm sure the good people of Sunrise are very safe and secure, but they don't necessarily have to institute any standards in using these devices. Now, I think it's a violation of our Fourth Amendment rights. I think it is an invasion of our privacy. I have asked, I believe, two FBI directors and two, um, or two attorneys general, I should say, uh, 
you know, there's a discussion out there about metadata and content. And they'll swear to you, they'll testify, and they will say, look, we only look at the metadata. You know, when I send an email between me and this gentleman over here, we're just looking at the metadata. We don't look at the content. So the question, one of the questions we all as a society have to ask, is your geolocation metadata or is it content? I would argue that it's content. If I can watch you, where you are, where you go, what you do, who you visit, that's the content of your life. And so because I carry this mobile phone device, should everybody in the world be able to see if I'm going somewhere? What if somebody's uh, maybe getting cancer treatments or wants to go to a particular bar or wants to just you know, pick up their kids at a school every day? Is that anybody else's business? No, it's not. And it's certainly not the law enforcement's business unless they have probable cause to chase us down. So the FBI, which has 194 devices, took... Uh, took very uh, evasive steps to obscure not only these devices uh, from the court and the public, but it's also its role in assisting state and local law enforcement agencies. In fact, they went so far when they helped the locals to make them sign non-disclosure agreements uh, to prohibit the public from learning about the use or role of these, uh, this technology. They even went so far in cases where there were pending criminal charges, and rather than prosecuting that person, they decided they didn't want to reveal how they knew this information, and they just dropped the case, and the bad guys, at least in their opinions, uh, walked. And um, they went to great, great lengths to keep these secret, which should tell you something about these. So we make a few recommendations. Non-disclosure agreements should be replaced with agreements that require clarity and candor to the court whenever a self site simulator has been used by law enforcement in a criminal investigation. All law enforcement agencies at all levels should be candid with the courts and the use of these devices. And the implementation of these recommendations, we believe, is crucial to ensuring, in some cases, restoring trust between law enforcement and those that they serve. And lastly, I, I want to highlight something that we said in our report. Quote, Congress should pass legislation to establish a clear nationwide framework for when and how geolocation can be accessed and used. Going back to the Jones case, which you'll be familiar with, this is where law enforcement put this geolocation device in the bottom of somebody's car and followed them for 28 days. They committed a crime. They believed that that was a violation of their Fourth Amendment rights, and the Supreme Court, in a nine-did-nothing decision, cited on the fact that this was a violation of their Fourth Amendment rights. And, and there was some very good uh, uh, opinion here. This is Justice Alito, Ginsburg, Breyer, and Kagan wrote, quote, in circumstances involving dramatic technological change, the best solution to privacy concerns may be legislative. A legislative body is well situated to gauge and change public attitudes, draw detailed lines, and balance privacy and public safety in a comprehensive way. We have to, a couple of bills that we'll be introducing uh, today. Uh, one is a reintroduction of a bill that we did with Senator Ron Wyden of, Ohio, of Oregon. Uh, the GPS, the Geolocations and uh, Privacy Act, and the other one is the Cell Location Privacy Act, uh, making it illegal. Again, we've been talking about law enforcement. And the last thing I'd mention is, uh, before we get to the questions is what happens when this technology gets in the hands of the drug cartels or organized crime or some pervert in a van down by the river? I mean, 
you start to see this technology, the price is coming down, you can go on other places and find this technology, and this would criminalize it and uh, make it uh, so that use of these machines without a probable cause warrant uh, would be punishable with up to 10 years in prison and a fine or both. And um, again, it's a very interesting topic. It's something I, I, I want us all to be aware of. There are very legitimate uses for this technology, but there are also some really bad uses. And I don't like it when our federal government is spending $100 million and doing everything they can to make sure you don't know about it. And that's what we discovered, and I'm, I'm glad we've exposed it, and now we have a duty and an obligation to follow through on it. So thanks for having me here, and I uh, look forward to answering some questions. Uh, so one of the striking things about the report is, is just the sheer number yeah. um, of devices. Um, as folks may, may be aware, um, if you want someone's historical location, that is to say if you want to um, try and figure out whether someone was indeed at the scene of a crime when you're investigating, that's not something you can get with a stingray in real time. That's something you need to go to the phone company uh, to, to obtain retrospective records of. Um, and when you want to do real-time tracking, that's, of course, something that not only can be done via uh, an order served on the cell phone companies, uh, but indeed is at a, uh, quite frequently done that way. Um, and so I found it striking um, that they, uh, you know, you're talking about agencies having not, uh, not five or ten or uh, even a couple dozen, but hundreds of these devices, which run uh, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars apiece. Um, what rationale did you encounter for that, uh, that level of investment in a technology that largely duplicates capability um, that exists through the carriers? Well, uh, again, I don't fully understand it. I do know that Homeland Security uh, has given some $1.8 million in grants to locals to be able to purchase their own machines. Um, I think the ACLU has done a fine report, which I'll hear about in a second, that there were not standards across the uh, uh, country. Uh, municipalities, counties, states all had varying degrees of uh, approach towards these. That's why we need, I believe, a, a federal law to set the, set the standard. Um, if you look across, you have, you know, Obviously, uh, from ICE to ATF to DEA, which has 33 devices, I mean, there are millions of dollars going out the door. Even the Inspector General, the Treasury Inspector General, uh, spent $260,000 uh, on it. When we called them out on that, uh, they gave it up, essentially ending their ability to deploy the device. But it did take a congressional investigation to go ahead and, and look at that. And, and again, we're talking about $100 million. This is no small expenditure. So. And, and you mentioned IRS. What, uh, you know, you'd think perhaps tracking someone's cell phone movements would not be a, a common way of figuring out whether someone has been uh, truthful in their tax declarations. What was their uh, uh, explanation? Look, the IRS, as much as any uh, agency, I believe, is an out-of-control agency. It needs major reforms. That starts at the top. I think uh, Mr. Koskinen, as the commissioner of the IRS, cannot answer this question. Uh, you know, they simply followed the recommendations, which was good from the Department of Justice, but it still never really justifies why they purchased it in the first place. And if they have a criminal case, then get a law enforcement agency involved and engaged in it. Don't be tracking people thinking that they've got some hot tax case. Um, and again, what I, what I have not been able to see in the exposure 
is did any of them go and actually read content? Now, if you get a probable cause warrant, that's a different standard, but I'm not aware, or I have no um, assurance or way to document that they never did look at this. Um, and we worry about the abuse, you know? You, you have human beings who work for these department and agencies. Can they guarantee us and that they didn't use it for their own personal use? Hey, there's somebody that's attractive. Uh, I want to figure out what their phone number is. You could take that device in a room like this. I would have all of your numbers. And as soon as I know all of your numbers, then I can go ahead and track you. And then I could turn on the machine uh, you know, a month later and say, I wonder where that, one, that machine is. Oh, there it is. And I can go find that person again. So th there's some very, uh, this is ripe for abuse. And um, I think our investigation really pushed the Department of Justice. But again, when you have two attorneys general and I believe an FBI director who I've asked of this question under sworn testimony, is it content or is it metadata? They will not answer that question. Eric Holder couldn't ask that, answer that question. He just would not answer that question. It's because it is content, and they are reading it, and they are looking at it. And I would argue just finding your physical presence is content, which is inconsistent with everything else they've told you, right? Oh, it's just metadata we look at. No, they're looking at content because they're looking at where you are. And that you should have to get a probable cause warrant. And I mean, it may surprise people uh, that, that, in fact, until uh, the guidelines changed, uh, seems seemingly in response to uh, your inquiry, uh, that this is a tool uh, that federal law enforcement was able to use without obtaining uh, a judicial probable cause warrant. But oh, rather, clearly. They, for, for a long time, they used these without any, any sort of warrant. Uh, when discovery was happened from somebody that they were prosecuting, they often would not cough that up. And when they were actually to a point where they had no choice but to, to do that, there are cases that they dropped rather than prosecute. And uh, that's how desperate they were to keep this a secret. So, I, mean, I think this, this, this touches on, on what's known as the third party doctrine. The idea here is that information that's turned over to a third party, like the signals your phone sends to the, uh, uh, to, to the telephone carrier, um, essentially lose their Fourth Amendment protection, so they can be obtained with lesser standards. Um, but maybe to describe a little bit the difference, I mean, we're, uh, the difference between probable cause and the standard for uh, some of these metadata orders is uh, uh, relevance, which is, uh, I mean, we can say something about the, the difference in what the, how meaningful those, uh, those standards of review are. Well, you know, one standard would be articulable suspicion. Right? That would be short of probable cause, but it would have to stand up in, in, in court. Uh, I'm not an attorney. I just play one in Congress. So, um, But there had to be some standards. And that's where we're trying to define in the GPS Act saying your geolocation uh, re does require a probable cause warrant. And that would be the case of all law enforcement. Now, again, I worry about these machines getting in the hands of nefarious actors, but at least there would be some degree of penalty because right now if uh, the Sinaloa cartel got their hands on this stuff and we found it, it would be, oh darn, they have one, uh, as opposed to uh, you know, being able to imprison somebody or make it a violation of the criminal law. Can I, I want to mention one other thing that our committee is looking at. So we're talking very specifically about these, this ability to track individuals. Here are some things, let me give you a preview of some of the things that our committee is also looking at. And this is 
I don't think we've released this yet. Um, we'll do that here for the first time, but um, well, actually it was the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown Law did some good work on this. But one of those is about uh, facial recognition. Um, essentially one in two Americans is in a face recognition law enforcement network. So the FBI in particular and others is doing everything it can to build out facial recognition with the goal essentially of having everybody's face in their database. Uh, now, you watch the show 24, or you watch some other television show, and there's a bad guy. Yeah, you want to go find that person as soon as you possibly can. And, and uh, hey, gee whiz, that's pretty fun. But is that really, if you're a suspicionless American, is that is that right? Something we're going to look at. The connected cars or autonomous vehicles. Uh, we've had a couple of hearings in the Oversight Committee, but. Uh, Troy Stock over here, who's the staff director of our subcommittee on information technology, Will Hurd, who's our chairman, is going to spend a lot of time on these, on these vehicles. The Internet of Things, the connectivity, it's, you know, Cisco estimates there are going to be 50 billion connected devices by 2020. Unmanned un, uh, aircraft systems, drones is another interesting. Imagine taking a drone that's armed with facial recognition. Um, it gets to be kind of scary. We have Rule 702 that will come up in the Judiciary Committee. It, it, the law is set to, is supposed to sunset in December of, of, uh, of uh, 2017. And then the agency's use of Social Security numbers, um, trying to limit the number of Social Security numbers that are out there. We tried trying to pass a bill uh, to make sure that they don't print social security numbers on the outside of packages that everybody can see. It's amazing, but there are department and agencies that will take your social security number and put it on the outside of an envelope. It's, there's a lot to do. <laughs> I guess as a final question, one of the concerns um, that's been raised is that uh, often these devices, these technologies are in the uh, hands of, of uh, urban police departments that are also dealing with uh, Sort of growing number of mass protests, and there's a concern about the use of tracking devices at, uh, you know, essentially at protest sites, essentially a, a, as a mechanism for identifying, uh, you know, people who may engage in, uh, you know, exercises or right to speak and assemble. Um, is that uh, is is that a is, is that a concern you have, and have you sort of been reassured uh, that? the capability of these devices to gather up essentially not just information about particular targets but about large numbers of people in a, in a given geographic area um, is being appropriately constrained. No, no. So for instance in Baltimore uh, where I believe they have more than one device, I, I, I know they have at least one but it might be more than one, uh, they have been using them on airplanes, you know, flying over the city Again, you're, you're, you have a known criminal that you're chasing and you're trying to find them and they're on the run. A terrorist who you know has a per certain phone, you want to be able to find that. Uh, I get that and understand that. But it's an interesting public policy question. Do we just sweep everybody all the time? What if you do have a group of 2,000 people that gather? Is it right for law enforcement to gather all their telephone numbers and then, oh, there's a watch list for you? Um, when they're exercising their First Amendment right to gather and exercise free speech. They're all questions. I, look, fundamentally where I come from, I don't trust the federal government. That's like my starting point. So if you start from that premise, how much do you want them to collect and have? And, and again, 
The other side of the argument would say, well, it's law enforcement. If you want this nation to be secure, you know, this is how we're going to do it. But to me, tracking everybody, especially a, a suspicionless American, is a step too far. And then when you start to get into privacy, uh, particularly on private property, you know, the, these, these towns are just, they have, tele, they have uh, cameras everywhere. But when I go into a private property or my own home, you know, what, what is that supposed to look like? And there'll be a very interesting discussion about airspace is another one that I haven't mentioned that is, I'm very keen on. The FAA would say that they manage all the airspace. Okay, so 500 feet and above? Yeah, yeah, we manage that. What about uh, 200 feet and above? Oh yeah, that's ours. Well, what about 10 feet and above? Oh, that's theirs. Okay, what about one inch above my, in my backyard? Well, if it's air, that's us. Okay, so if you have a uh, drone coming, buzzing me two feet above the ground, who am I supposed to call? 1-800-FAA-POLICE? I mean, really? They're the, what, what, is the, what are the bounds? And it's on private property, right? And so, but technology can be good, right? You got Amazon, you got Google, you got others that want to deliver things via drones. It can be fast, efficient, can get you medicine can go see, you know, help put out fires, uh, get to the scene of an accident faster than anything else. You know, these things can go 160 miles an hour, and if you've got an accident, um, your OnStar system that you give permission to, and all of a sudden you know that the airbag's been deployed, they could shoot that drone to you so fast and send a camera down and have a look and see if there's an injury, if there's, a, you know, how many uh, people are involved in that industry, in, right? There can be some really neat things to do. But boy, it really gets your mind spinning as to where do we go next with all of this. Sorry, I'm giving a long answer, but yeah, well, it's, uh, we always uh, like to, to get into detail at, uh, at Cato. Uh, but let me also uh, open it up to members of the audience who may have questions. Um, I'll just remind everyone that uh, in general, questions should be things you can articulate in about three sentences, and um, there should be a rising vocal inflection at the end, indicating <laughs> that it is in fact a question and not a miniature monologue. Um, do we have uh, folks in the audience? Yeah. Uh, let's, I suppose, start right here. Uh, Sorry, right, oh, right behind. I, I, I suppose, oh, well, the, the microphone is there. We will. Uh... Um, Sharon Bovat, voice of a moderate. I was, I blog about fraud and corruption, and I was having pizza in Arlington, Virginia, and I was geo tracked. Actually, a political campaign showed up in a Mercedes with tinted windows. A person came out, and they talked to me about a job. And I responded to them, no, and I CC'd the FBI. And I've been trying for two years to try to get people to Department of Justice. They said it's a new area. Um, it turns out that that person was affiliated with an agency and they used government funding to track me for something that was personal and political. So I think that there needs to be a specific law about people using geo-tracking after hours. And evidently, when I talked to people at the DOJ, they just said right now it's a new, it's a new area. So I guess the laws have to be written. Are there laws being written about people using geo-tracking to track individuals? So yes, again, the GPS Act that we will reintroduce today, would it, you have to have a probable cause warrant in order to use it. If not, there's a, there's a penalty to that. And, uh, and then the other bill that we're also introducing uh, would, again, uh, further make sure that that, is, that type of activity uh, is against the law. Because if it's outside of law enforcement, then you cannot use this type of technology. You just, you just can't. You can't. 
it's a, it's a fake, right? It's not the service that you signed up with, Verizon, Sprint, AT&T, it doesn't matter what it is, you're essentially signing a contract to interact between your mobile device and their cell phone. So if somebody, anybody is getting in the way of that connection as something that you did not authorize, essentially it would say that's against the law and you can't do that. Now, you have to be able to track that person down, but it does beg the question, who's going to enforce this, right? Who's going to enforce it? Where, who do you call? Are you going to call the Arlington Police Department? I mean, they're going to be scratching their heads thinking, what are you talking about, lady? It's just, they don't, they don't know how to do this. But it is, again, there's this merging technology and the, it's ripe for, for abuse. I should make a, a tag a lanyap on that. Um, it seems that, that the, you know, one of the differences between these sort of uh, roving devices that are sucking in signals and um, getting the same information by serving a court order on the carriers is that when you serve a court order on the carriers, there's basically a paper trail, there's a record, um, it's sort of hard to use that in an extracurricular fashion um, without you know, leaving some record that might uh, raise, raise eyebrows. Uh, whereas when you've got the device, if someone you know, decides to go rogue, uh, it is uh, much easier in essence to get away with, uh, with that if you've sort of wiped the device afterwards. Um, is there reasons to think about trying to encourage uh, law enforcement to go through carriers essentially whenever possible um, so that you've got that external checkpoint or choke point um, that, that yeah. these requests are going through. Well, look, law enforcement will often go through, um, you know, the, the, uh, the carriers to get information specific to a case that they're investigating. Uh, when you have your phone or mobile device or iPad or whatever it is and you authorize an app, then it becomes a whole different question. So perhaps there's an, I'm, I'm just guessing, Perhaps there's an app in which you've given permission uh, to track your location. And if they, as you've given them authorization and they want to sell that data or share that information in real time with somebody else, that's perfectly legal because you have at that point given them permission to follow you. That's what the Google model is. The Google model says, you know, you are giving us permission to scan essentially your content and the apps that you're using, we own that. They have that, that's, that's out there. You've given them permission and they can follow you. But that's why um, you have to be very cautious. And I you know, tell my kids to turn off all those tracking things and be very careful on what, which apps you do. And some apps you download and you just think, really? If I'm just playing this game, why do they need to know where I'm at? Because it's valuable data. That, that, that's the, the big game of marketing that they're trying to get at. And they want to know what your profile is and where you shop and what you buy and how often you play this particular game. Let's take uh, an additional question. Perhaps uh, a gentleman there. And identify yourself and your affiliation if you prefer, if you, if you choose to. Carl Landwehr from George Washington University. Um, so, you know, you're focused at the moment uh, on this particular device and this particular technology, but it's clear that the market is flooded with these technologies. Yeah. Do you think it might be a more productive approach to try to legislate the uses of this data rather than the collection of it? There's no question that companies are collecting it, and it's beneficial in many ways, and so we want it collected, but we don't want it used in a bad way. Do you think that might be more productive? Yeah, well, no doubt we're playing catch up. And that Jones case is several years old at, at this point, and we're talking about a technology that's, that's, that's becoming pervasive. 
trying to get ahead of the curve. Congress isn't exactly <laughs> known for doing that, but we're trying. And that's why I mentioned some of the things like the facial recognition technology. Great when you download all your, your photos onto your particular app and um, you, know, you wanna have them sorted and find all the ones of my wife, hey, it's great. Uh, but when law enforcement is taking pictures of you walking down the street and trying to match them with your driver's licenses so that they can have a database on you, it, that starts to get to be a little bit spooky. So I, there are other, again, I tried to name five or six of things out there, but this is the exciting time of technology, but the creativity is not as just unbounding, which is good. It's part of the economy that's singing and, and working so well. Um, but boy, we got some moral choices to make and some, some real, real questions about where are the bounds of privacy in our lives. Uh, and I'll just tag on that. I mean, this is, I think something you hear pro uh, often is, well, you just don't worry about collection, focus on use regulation. Um, and sometimes, essentially, you need the collection and so you have to do that. Uh, but I think in general, the collection is a more effective locus of regulation than use. Um, it's just inherently, I think, more regulable. Um, that is to say, if you want to know whether a particular type of data has been collected uh, and whether a particular, you know, the appropriate authority was, was granted prior to collection, that's something that is at least relatively easy uh, to monitor and enforce directly. Was the information gathered then disseminated inappropriately? That's a lot harder to track in a meaningful way, um, especially if dissemination can occur outside of band, outside of um, you know, sort of a channel that creates a trail. Let's try and take one more, and then I know uh, the congressman has a, uh, a hearing and uh, he needs to get to, but uh, uh, perhaps actually right here in the, in the second row. Yeah, sorry, I have a, uh, a hearing that, uh, the, the, uh, that starts at 10, and I'm, I'm the chairman, so I gotta be there. It probably won't start without me, but uh, we do need to start it at 10, so my bad. Um, good morning. Um, I'm a student at UDC. I'm actually studying stingrays, and I know that you just said you'll be resubmitting a bill. So what are any new measures you plan to do to get this one through as the other kind of didn't get passed? Well, thanks. I'm glad you're studying this because the, the, those people that get into this aspect of the law and, and, and understanding and tackling some of these big moral issues, they are not going away. Um, so thanks for doing that. In large part, it's an education. Even when I tell my colleagues, I think they're pretty stunned that the government is spending close to $100 million on this technology, that Homeland Security has given out some $1.8 million in grants to obtain this technology at the local level. Um, again, it's, it's a, one of the big moral questions. So in large part, it's, it's education. Uh, part of the challenge I have with my colleagues, with all due respect, is most, they, they just, they don't understand technology, they don't understand how it works. Um, but the, for, there are some people that are very good on this. Daryl Issa, for instance, is very good on this. Um, Jared Polis uh, on the Democratic side is, is, is pretty good on this issue. Ron Wyden, a Democratic senator out of Oregon, uh, he and I have been very compatible on these issues. Um, and so it, it's, you know, we need good people on both sides of the aisle that are, that are tackling this. And then you as the public need to keep peppering them with the questions and and, and ask. I mean, we had a big issue when Troy Stock and I first got going with the TSA. You know, the TSA, I thought what they were doing, all in the name of security, uh, overstepped their bounds. And they swore to you that those whole body imaging machines that they first put up, uh, that 
they weren't, they were never capturing or transmitting the information, yet the request for a proposal has that as a key competency. Every one of them is, has a transmission so it can go into the back room, you know, and, and I think we pointed out and they finally had to scuttle a lot of those machines and certainly change the software because these were machines that could look at you naked. And with such specificity, they could count the beads of sweat on your back. And if they can see that, they can see everything. And, and I thought that was an overstep. All in the name of security, right? We want to protect airplanes. Uh, we also have backscatter machines, right? Backscatter machines can be used in a very good thing when cargo comes across the border. You want to be able to take essentially a backscatter and be able to see if there's humans or weapons or something coming across. But now you also have them in vans where they can pull up to a home and look into a home. Now, hostage situation, great technology. Want to go check out your girlfriend? Not so good at technology, right? But there need to be bounds on these things. So there's a lot to do. And in a large part, it's education. Yeah. And in the meantime, so while we're waiting for legislation to pass, um, so there's a question, I guess, about maintaining the status quo. The DOJ has uh, finally uh, agreed to uh, preserve a warrant requirement for their uses of the technology. Are we confident in the administration that those rules will remain in place, that there won't be a backsliding? No. Until we encode it in the law, and, and certainly there's no bounds on local law enforcement or other law enforcement agencies to do this. And it's a suggestion that they would do that from the IRS, but I don't know. And there is not a law that would prohibit them from doing that. And they have the machines. Do we know so, why uh, DHS, could DHS condition the grant? So if these are being bought with federal money, should that come with a condition that, hey, you should follow the same guidelines well, again, the FBI does? Again, they say that's their policies, but they can say, well, we waived that policy or we created an exception for the policy in this particular case. That's why we want to enshrine it in law and we need your help uh, highlighting this issue, supporting the pieces of legislation. And if you have other ideas, uh, we'd love to chat with you along the way. And uh, again, we have a subcommittee. For the first time in Congress, we created a subcommittee on IT issues. We spend between 80 and 90 billion dollars a year on IT at the federal government. That's the annual, annual expenditure, and it doesn't work. So I can give a whole nother speech about that sort of the aspect, but there is this privacy issue that I think affects all of us, and I'm glad that you're interested enough to, to come in this early. I have to get back to the Hill because we've got to have this hearing. So thanks so much for having me. Join me, please, in thanking uh, Congressman Jacobs.